Welcome to the fortnightly Peters McGregor Global Investing Podcast. Our aim is to keep abreast of market developments, provide our views on a range of companies and investing topics, and explain how we're positioning our portfolio. Please be aware that this podcast is intended to provide general information only, and that all forms of investing involves risk of capital loss. Make sure to do your own due diligence and seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. Good morning. My name is Chloe Peters, Senior Executive of Distribution at Peters McGregor. With me today is Trevor Scott, Senior Analyst. Welcome, Trevor. Thanks for having me, Chloe. Pleasure. Facebook has been in the news recently, Trevor, given their unexpected quarterly guidance. uh, We thought it would be worthwhile to update our listeners on your current thinking. I'm particularly bullish on Facebook. I think this is probably one of the best businesses in the world today. Although it currently trades at a slightly elevated multiple, about 22 or 23 times next year's earnings with the cash removed, that valuation will look extremely compelling given the growth in the financials of Facebook 10 years from now. The two big points I think most investors are concerned about on Facebook is the first is the MySpace risk. People are just generally freaking out about the fact that this business wasn't here 10 years ago and where is it going to be in the next 10 years. And the reason I think the MySpace risk is particularly low is if you look at how popular some of these previous social networks, they were very flash in the pan. MySpace was really popular for about two years, where if you look at Facebook, it's the better part of a decade now. And when you think about the content that users have uploaded and the networks that they've created, it's harder to leave these platforms. I talked to a lot of people during the delete Facebook campaign, and it's just not an easy platform to leave, not just from the ingrained habit of checking Facebook every day, but also from the perspective that a lot of people are living their lives. They have certain groups. Um, There's new mums groups. There's ability to track bands. I follow a bunch of bands when they're coming to the city. It's just a very useful utility for for most consumers. So that particular risk of the business kind of fading away to irrelevance isn't really matching up. And I think if you ask people about Facebook, they generally say, oh, I don't use Facebook or I'm not on it or I'm barely using it. And it just reminds me of when I was doing my research on Tinder, the dating app, and I was doing my basic due diligence on the company by going around and, and talking to you know friends that were using it. And I would, I would invariably get the same answer. Oh, I don't use Tinder anymore. Tinder isn't really the type of way that I like to date. And every time I talked to people, they said the exact same thing. And I was trying to square as an analyst writing a report how the facts coming from the company, the audited figures were saying one thing, but my on the ground research was saying another thing. And it turned out after the 10th time of asking this question, I, I was like, somebody's lying to me and I, I don't think it was the company. So I asked you know, my friend, I said, can I see your phone? And he's like, why? And I'm like, oh, you said you don't use Tinder. I just want to make sure it's off your phone. I keep getting conflicting answers. And he's like, well, I use Tinder. Like I have it on my phone, but I'm not, I'm barely on it. And then it clicked that everybody was just kind of lying to me because they're somewhat embarrassed of the fact that they're online dating. It was just a really interesting anecdote that a lot of people will say one thing and do another. And I think Facebook's the exact same because if you look at the minutes spent on the platform, uh, it's gone from about 50 minutes in North America for Android users to 55 year over year through all of this Cambridge Analytica. So although everybody says they're, they're not on it, there's certainly a number of people that just don't want to admit to it. 
And the second thing that I think most people are missing on Facebook today, so th this is another reaction if you say you're long Facebook to somebody. They, they just say, I don't like Facebook, that's it. A lot of people are not aware that Facebook comprises more than one platform. You go to, on to tell them that, oh, they own Instagram and WhatsApp. They go, oh, really? Like, I didn't know that. And that's surprising for me as an analyst because that's one of the, the main reasons I like this company is they have the diversity of apps. But a lot of the general public doesn't know that, which is why you get these kind of comical people leaving Facebook saying, oh, I'm, I'm done with Facebook. I'm going to Instagram. I don't, I don't trust Facebook as a company. That's somewhat ironic. Um, but that whole delete Facebook campaign, uh, if you look at a Google Trends data, it had no significant effect. All the numbers are increasing. The platform added over 200 million users year over year. It's just quite interesting that people don't realize how difficult it is to leave that platform. And it's totally mind-boggling how big this company could become. When you go on and you look at the other platforms that they currently have, that Instagram has doubled its user base from 500 to a billion users in nine months. An interesting dynamic when you're looking at financial statements is when there's a large, mature, slow-growing component of the company that represents the majority of revenue, it hides in the consolidated financials a smaller, faster-growing segment of that company. And I think you have that dynamic right now with Facebook and Instagram. In effect, the, the app is going viral. What's so amazing to me is this is occurring at the same time that usage at Facebook is actually increasing. You figure if people are devoting more time to one app, they would be doing less of the Facebook app, but that's not happening. And I think if you're a portfolio manager over 40 years, uh, that's just something that you're not seeing on your daily life unless you're watching how your kids use the app. Under 30 demographic is obsessed with Instagram. It's completely changing the economy. It is changing how businesses market themselves. I talked to my spin instructor. This is how she keeps in touch with all of her clients. It's how she promotes herself. And when she goes to you know, talk to a new company about a job, the first thing they're looking at is her social media following. It's unbelievable how Instagram is kind of sitting hidden within Facebook. And WhatsApp for me is extremely interesting because it has over 1.5 billion users and currently contributes almost no revenue growth to Facebook. So when I say Facebook's probably at 22 or 23 times forward earnings, WhatsApp and Messenger are barely even scraping the surface of what they could monetize to. A number of markets like WhatsApp uh, in Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia, it is the internet for many people. They have groups that represent an entire social network within WhatsApp. And the company is testing out payments in India right now. You have 1.5 billion users. That could be two and a half billion in five or 10 years. Think about what rising incomes are going to do in these emerging markets. If you get a little bit of money from these users, uh, it could end up being a significant amount of value for Facebook. And, and again, it's just not in the financials. So those are the most interesting points I would say on Facebook today. Excellent. Definitely uh, interesting. And how about Facebook shares? Um, have you any thoughts when it fell a stunning 20% as they released their second quarter results? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that? It was probably the most interesting 30 minutes of the past uh, five or six years of my career. Uh, you're just sitting there watching what looked to be a good quarter. And the quarter was fine. But when they came out with the guidance, the stock just let loose. It went down, I think, 25% at one point. And there was two main reasons. One was the, the operating expenses. They, they guided from 40 to 45% down to 35% as they're just ramping up spending. 
And uh, part of that is due to hiring 20,000 people for community safety. It makes a lot of sense for Facebook to really push right now on expenses to police kind of their own platform to prevent the fake news, the harassment. There was cases of, of people being tracked down and, and murdered on it. This is really serious stuff that Facebook needs to get control of. So that's not what really uh, I think the street was concerned about. It was more the drop in revenue. So Facebook was doing about 42% revenue growth year over year. And they came out and said that was going to decelerate by high single digits. So let's say nine to nine, that gets you down to 24% by the end of the year. That's almost falling in half from where their growth was before. And nobody had that modeled. Not a single analyst would have had that modeled, that type of revenue deceleration. So you're sitting there, you know, everybody's selling first off, but I'm trying to think, you know, what am I going to write in my report tomorrow? There's three things that they blamed on the revenue drop. The first was currency, which... There's no way currency uh, would ever have that type of effect in terms of that, that deceleration. So that that's totally not it. The next was changes in privacy. So Europe went through GDPR. Uh, you had to kind of opt into tracking if you want. It's a factor. But if you look at the ARPUs in Europe versus North America, again, there's no way that would have the effect. So it was kind of the third reason that I think was the big one. And they said change in ad formats. And that's not something they've really talked about in the past. And what the change in ad formats is, is they're going from a posting model to a stories model. So if you think about Facebook today, you take a picture, you post it, and and that's it. But the problem is, as our networks have gotten so big, the original group that brought us to Facebook, so for me, it was my fellow university students, it's gone beyond that now. It's parents and grandparents, employers. Like I, I have a number of people from the team on it. I'm not going to be posting the same type of content that I did when I first got it. And, and that's limiting the engagement on the platform. And the most important thing to any social media platform is engagement. If people stop using it, the network effects all flow in reverse. It falls apart. Uh, so that deceleration in terms of the user engagement is incredibly important to Facebook. But what they actually have learned through Instagram is that the stories model is working. It's a picture or video that deletes itself after 24 hours. You can post it publicly and it's gone. And what that does is all of a sudden it lowers the bar for what is considered Instagram worthy. Um, you don't have to have these perfect shots. It could just be you at a club taking a shot and, and maybe you, you don't want that around for the rest of your life on your profile, but you're happy to show your friends what you're doing right then. It was a really good way to drive engagement. Now, Facebook has seen that that's worked on, on Instagram. Instagram is demolishing Snapchat right now. So Facebook is taking that model of stories and focusing its users on that type of uh, content. The issue that comes with that is the advertising rates are not the same on a stories model that it is in a newsfeed posting model. Most advertisers aren't really familiar with it. They're not, they're not sure how to get the same impact before somebody taps away from it. So currently they monetize at a lower rate. That is what I think is the big uh, reason for the revenue deceleration is they're, they're changing from posts to stories. And although that is the absolute correct long-term decision, it has short-term pain because the ad rates are lower. The street had no idea that that was coming. I, I didn't as well. But if you're thinking what Mark Zuckerberg is looking at, is he says, I have to keep the user engaged. I have to do what's right for the long term. I'm an owner of the business. It's in my best interest 
to, to keep this healthy, so I'll do it. And the one other point I would add to those results is if you want to get into kind of a game theory public relations angle, there's a lot of public hate towards Facebook and Zuckerberg right now from Cambridge Analytica, fake news. There's tons of reasons why Mark Zuckerberg would actually want to do this at this exact period to kind of sandbag guidance. Everybody in the world kind of woke up a couple of weeks ago to that headline, Facebook loses $100 billion in the largest stock market loss in history for a company. And uh, it kind of is self-imposed penalty. Everybody would be like, well, he got what he deserved. It does have a very convenient timing for Facebook. That's what I think the, the biggest reason the stock dropped. You talk to advertisers, as I did in my research, they, they're obsessed with Facebook. I ask them what ad prices they pay, and they, they say, we don't even really go off what pay. We just set our, our limit, and we pay what um, Facebook is charging because it's how we reach our customers. Same with Google. They, they just pay whatever it is. It's Warren Buffett's virtual toll road where people have to get to work that way. They'll pay a significant amount of money. Mm. And, and what was the catalyst for Peter McGregor as a value manager to finally add Facebook into its portfolio, Trevor? Traditionally, value investors historically have looked for a consumer goods company like a Coca-Cola or Gillette that was trading at maybe 14 or 15 times earnings. Facebook is out there at a premium. It's fast growing. It's tech and it's closer maybe to 22 or 23 times earnings on a forward basis. And it's not really fun to say, hey, there's this great idea for a stock. Have you ever heard of it? It's called Facebook. It would have been better to pick it up three or four years ago. But what I'm seeing as an analyst is these companies are growing into their valuations. If you have any type of historical growth, like, like a fraction of what it's been, these stocks are ridiculously cheap. And remember, those, those financials right now are not factoring in a, a huge amount of Instagram and WhatsApp and Messenger. I, I can show you some of the models we have we can get down to a single digit PE just going out a number of years. And if you actually believe that these companies aren't going to go MySpace, then it's a very interesting opportunity. So I think just based on the long-term runway of the business, of the user growth, how the economy is, is shifting, um, I went, just, just as a random example, I went to one of these uh, escape rooms and it was $35 if you wanted to, to go in it. Or if you like them on Instagram, it was $32. It, it makes sense for the company. They get free marketing. It makes sense for me. I get a cheaper price. And I think one of the biggest changes in the economy the past 10 years has been social media. I think it's probably the biggest change to the economy since the internet came out itself. And all of a sudden, everybody is their own brand. And having you know Facebook for family and friends and Instagram for your you know public profile it's just such a massive trend. And I think that long-term trend that was favorable was a huge reason why I was able to push this company into what is traditionally a value manager's portfolio. This is no longer 100 times earnings. This is a company that in two or three years will be at a mid-teens multiple with a fantastic business. So uh, if you just do your standard value investor DCF, these companies are quite cheap if you believe in the business model long-term. And what do you see as the major risks to Facebook going forward, Trevor? There's no question the one risk that I think about and as a team we're very focused on is regulation. There's no question as well that Facebook really messed up with Cambridge Analytica, uh, you know, 87 million people having their, their data leaked. There's a lot of power that's within these platforms and if it's not managed responsibly, you're going to see a huge amount uh, of regulation. 
There's been two major privacy acts that have come through AB 375 in California, which just passed, I think, last month and will go into effect in 2020. And what that does is it lets users actually see what the company has collected on you, what the profile is of you, kind of like a credit report. And the other one uh, is GDPR in Europe. And, and that's an opt-in for Facebook tracking. I think those type of regulations are totally manageable. I think most people, if they, if they understand how data tracking, how ad tracking works, they actually prefer it. It makes a lot of sense why you want a personalized internet experience. It's like having relevant things towards you. If, you, if it's nice to know that your your band is coming to the city that you live in, um, and I just think that if people are explained the benefits of ad tracking, they're not automatically going to do it. Those types of regulations are totally survivable, in my opinion. It's the stuff that makes no sense to me that is always possible. If, if the government says we're going to do, you know, prevent all ad tracking from happening as a total revolt against these types of Google and Facebook business, if they say you can't ad track anymore, that that would be a killer to the investment thesis because that is a huge amount of, uh, of Facebook's business model. Um, the reason I don't think that happens is the same reason Zuckerberg cited in his, you know, his testimony. Uh, he was saying, if you prevent these companies from doing that type of tracking and ad targeting um, long term, you're going to fall behind the Chinese competitors. And what he's implying is, do you want the social network that's dominant to be United States based? Or do you want to just ban this entirely and have this whole trend that's going to continue no matter what type of regulation they do and, and have Chinese companies control the data? And I, I think any you know person in Congress would obviously prefer the U.S. solution. So um, there's certainly risks with regulation. But if you go back to previous cases, what springs to mind in the early 1990s, there was regulations passed that would limit the ability for the cable companies to charge for the new channels. So the new MTV, the CNN, Lifetime Premium Cable Channels, those were being regulated. And it came out with this 500 and something page report that weighed like 40 pounds. It did force the cable companies to set the prices on these new channels lower. But then what the cable companies did is they just raised the price of the basic package. And obviously the cable industry has done very well since you know the early 90s. And the point is, if you have a product that is providing a, a significant amount of value to the consumer, if they regulate one aspect of it, you can usually figure out a way to still provide the value um, and get your cut. It's certainly a risk, but I think Facebook and its apps provide a lot of value to consumers. And if they have to opt into something, I think that it's totally manageable. So we'll see. But that's how strong these businesses are. The only thing, in my opinion, that's really going to kill them is if all of a sudden there's a collective action from citizens and says, we hate all social media, it has to end. And I definitely don't see that happening. So uh, that's probably the biggest risk, but it's one that I'm not overly concerned about. Excellent. Well, thank you, Trevor. Thanks for listening today. Uh, please feel free to share this podcast. If you have any further questions, please email them to service at petersmcgregor.com. Thanks, Trevor. <laughs> Thanks, Chloe.